Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the gift of praising you and the gift of worship, the gift of the body of Christ and to gather together with the saints corporately, Lord. We can finish this year strong, finishing well, Lord, as we praise you together and remember your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love towards us, Lord. We are recipients of that most wonderful, precious love that was demonstrated by sending Jesus Christ into the world to die for our sins. No greater love than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends, Lord. And, and so we worship you, we praise you, we glorify you, we surrender to you, Lord, and we um, ask that you would help us to obey you and walk in truth, Lord. As we get into your word this morning, I pray that you would transform us. I pray that uh, you would do something in our heart, Lord, that your word would reach the innermost part of our heart, the, the place where we really are, the true self, our, our true us, Lord, not the superficial part, but Lord, uh, may the seed of your word reach the, the place where the soul and the spirit divide, Lord, that we may be more like you. I pray that today would be different, Lord, that we wouldn't leave the same. And I pray this in the name of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, you may be <laughs> greeting. <laughs> all right, you may be seated. All right, so good morning, everybody, and uh, happy soon-to-be New Year. I hope uh, this finds you at a time where uh, you can look back in the year and be grateful and say that uh, you have finished well, but uh, maybe you haven't been able to say that. Maybe you haven't had a year like that, and so the good thing about a new year, it kind of gives us a reset and uh, another sort of... Uh, benchmark and a place where we can kind of evaluate and see where we're going and what we're doing and where we've been. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. If you have your Bibles, please take them out and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And while you're turning there, uh, just have a couple announcements. This Wednesday, we do not have service and uh, we will resume our Wednesday night services a week from this Wednesday. And we'll be back in where we left off in 2 Corinthians. And uh, we'll be in chapter 9 and 10, maybe 11. So if you want to read ahead for those, that would be great. Also, our corporate prayer every third Thursday of the month. Mark your calendars, that's going to be here at the sanctuary on January 18th from 7 to 8, and that's a Thursday night. And then last thing I wanted to encourage you in is uh, you have an opportunity to start the one-year Bible tomorrow and uh, read through the whole Bible in a year. So that would be a pretty neat thing to end 2024 and uh, be at this place a year from now and say, I read through the whole Bible this year. So uh, the, I encourage you to get the one-year Bible. There's a physical one-year Bible. It's called the one-year Bible. Bible comes in different versions. You can also get that online. And uh, so it's, it's about as easy as you could possibly imagine to actually have access and do it. But the key is to do it. Nothing to it but to do it. And so, um, here's a question for you, if you're not going to do it, if you're not planning on doing it, if you don't care, if you just want me to get through this part really fast, here's a question for you. Why would you not do it? Why would you not do it? What's better than the Word of God? If the Word of God is truly the Word of God, then what would be the proper response to the Word of God. It's only obvious. Wisdom. Wisdom from Shirley. There's the only thing to do, if it's the Word of God, if it's truth, it's a lamp unto our feet, if it's soul 
for our spirit, if it is that which breaks up the fallow ground of our heart, if, that, if it's that which uh, inspires and increases our faith, if, if it's actually God talking to us and saying, here, here's, here's what you need to know, then why would you not do that? Something for you to think about. And so, as you ponder that, I would like to direct your attention then to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be tackling the section of Scripture from verses 23 to 29. As we look at this section of Scripture, and you know, this is a departure from uh, our normal verse by verse going through the Bible. Um, we'll be back in Luke here pretty soon, um, next week actually. But as we start this new year, it's, as I said, it's a, a time just to sort of uh, think about our life, where it's been, and where it's going. And as I was praying about what to share today and asking the Lord for a word for us today, He directed me to the book of Hebrews, in particular, uh, a life that's lived by, by faith. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter that speaks about living a life of faith. All of us here this morning, every human being, has some sort of grid that they're operating from. It's the, the, the grid of why we make decisions, why we do what we do, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, um, how we spend our energy, the decisions we make about our future, the choices we make. We all have a grid from which we operate from. And the Bible gives us a grid that's different than a normal grid of someone who is not a Christian. We have this grid called faith. For a Christian, faith is the new operating system for the Christian's life. Faith is how we now operate from. Before we are Christians, maybe we're not a Christian here today, or maybe we are, but we're never, we've never really understood what it means to be a Christian, how to live as a Christian. And so we're going to look at that and address that today. But this life of faith that God then gives to the believer is different than someone who's not a Christian in that if you're not a Christian, you don't live by faith in God. You live by faith in something else. And it is faith that you live by. It may be faith in what you see. It may be faith in your own abilities. It may be faith in what you feel, what your heart is telling you. These are all things of grids that the world uses to sort of make decisions. Uh, you may use some sort of grid of experience. Um, basically what it comes down to, if you're not living by faith, you're living by something that is perishing, something that is temporary, something that will eventually lead to destruction. And that's what the, what the Bible says. And so faith, as we look at faith the last day of this year, we have an opportunity to live this next year in a way where we're living according to God's plan and God's order of things. And that's how faith works. It puts us on a track that has been laid out by God. That track that has been laid out by God is empowered, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that track is the track of faith. It leads us to the things of God and in the things of God. As I was praying about what to share this morning, and God began to lead me to this a topic of, of faith. 
I was encouraged to know that what I say today and what we look at in the Bible is a guarantee for all of us. We have a guarantee. 2024 is going to be wild. It's going to be confusing. It's going to be emotional. There are going to be a lot of things thrown at you. And in the midst of all that, one thing that I know for sure is what we're going to look at today is a guarantee that God will stabilize us. That God will bless us. That God will use us that we will flourish in this year, regardless of what goes on in the culture and in the world. This is a guarantee of peace in our heart. It's a guarantee of joy. It's a guarantee of fruitfulness. It's a guarantee of excitement. It's a guarantee of passion, enthusiasm. And what we're going to look at today is a, a guarantee that we can tackle what's coming next head on, that we don't have to be afraid. That we can go into this next year fully embracing it. And the reason we can do that is because we are going to live by faith and not by sight. We're going to live by God's will and not our own will. And this will free us from fear and entanglement of worry and all the things that come with this world. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us this understanding of faith and what comes about by faith. Some things that the Bible tells us in regards to faith are this. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. In other words, the world is not like a, a wave taking us wherever it wants to go. Instead, we are above the wave. We are above the fray. We are above the things of this world. We have overcome those things. And he says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So our faith means that we are not subject to the things of this world. We are above all those things. We've overcome all those things. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How about that? In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. In Romans 1, 17, it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And then, one of my favorites, Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, let's read through this section of Scripture, beginning in verse 23. By faith... Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction 
with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. And so Moses then is a practical example of what it looks like to walk by faith. There are really four things that we're going to draw out of this particular text in regards to Moses' faith. Number one is that faith refuses. Number two, faith chooses. Number three, faith sees. And number four, faith obeys. These are the practical aspects of what we find in the life of Moses. So as we look at this section of Scripture, what is the setting? It's important to understand the setting of this Scripture, the setting of this Scripture. Before we get here, we have to go back to the promise that God gave to Abraham, that through Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed. In other words, that through Abraham the Messiah would come that through Abraham a nation would be formed, that Abraham would have descendants, and that they would have land, a particular place. And so Abraham had a son, Isaac, and Isaac had a son, Jacob, and from Jacob came 12 sons who were the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons, at that time, the youngest son, his name was Joseph. His older brothers didn't like him. They were jealous of him, and so they tried to get rid of him. They threw him in a pit, and when they threw him in a pit, he was taken out and taken by enemies, and he was taken into Egypt as a slave. He ended up uh, elevating to a high position through God showing him dreams of Pharaoh in Egypt, and as he elevated to that high position and had favor, God was orchestrating this amazing plan that even Joseph didn't know about at the time. There's a famine where his brothers were and where his family was, and so they had to leave or needed to leave to find food. And so his brothers eventually came to Egypt where Joseph was, and Joseph was able to have a good place and good provision for the family. So now the family's in Egypt different pharaoh comes into power and he didn't have the same feeling about Joseph and his brothers as the previous pharaoh and and so he began to see them as a threat and because he saw them as a as a threat he asked that the children of the Jews the male children be killed he asked the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, to kill those boy Jewish, those Jewish boys or babies that were born, and they didn't do it. And then he asked that all the people would throw the male babies into the river. And so that sort of brings us to what we're looking at and how Moses handled it. And the first thing that we notice in verse 23, is actually his parents' faith. So look at verse 23 of Hebrews 11. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, so he was born into a terrible time, a terrible time for Jewish mothers to have babies. Many in our culture today would look at the culture and look at the world and say, I'm not having kids. There's no way I'm going to bring a kid into this world. 
But see, faith doesn't do that. Faith listens to God. And faith understands that God has a purpose in every generation and in every time and in every season. And so we're not to live by fear, but we're to live by faith. And these Jewish women, it was noted by the Pharaoh that they are very prolific in childbearing. So they didn't fear the fact that their child might grow up in slavery, that the conditions might be terrible and harsh. Just the opposite. They were living by faith. And they were bringing so many Jewish babies into the world that these Jewish babies became a huge threat to Egypt and the Pharaoh. So much so he wanted to get rid of them. And so Moses was actually born into this environment but notice the, the the faith of his parents it says that he was hidden three months by his parents versus killing or aborting or disposing of their child he, they they didn't listen to to the pharaoh they didn't listen to the words of a godless person. They didn't listen to the words of a culture that might dictate to them decisions that would say, well, it'll be easier or there'll be less conflict or your child will not, you don't want them to have to go through what they may go through. And and the parents, instead of that, they said, no, we're going to do what God says. This is a, a good case for civil disobedience when God's word is being thwarted for man's word or cultural uh, teachings or positions. So, so instead of killing Moses, they hid Moses. This would be a, uh, a threat to their lives, threat to their family, but they live by faith and not by sight. It says that they hid him because he was a, a beautiful child, What exactly does that mean? I don't know one single parent that does not think their child is beautiful when they're born. There may be some, but I don't know. I don't know of any. I never heard a parent say, my child is just very ugly. (laughs) It probably doesn't mean what we think. It, It probably means that his parents recognize some sort of calling on his life. And that calling on his life, they they would be able to understand by their faith in God that God had a purpose for him. And it says, if if you notice there, it says, "And, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Isn't that interesting? They're living by a different grid, aren't they? Even if they, as in our text, they they chose to hide him and and not do what the king commanded, still maybe you'd think it'd be scary. you think maybe that it would be found out, but instead it says they weren't afraid. They weren't afraid of the king's command. Now, how, how does that happen? There's two things that can't live together. Faith and fear. Faith and fear. Those things can't live together. Why is that? Because faith is living with the conviction and the belief that God is in control. When one lives with the conviction that God is in control, then knowing that God is orchestrating good and not evil, that God by His very nature is one to bless and to give and to give good and to love, just knowing the nature of God and knowing that He is in control, 
that is a, a conviction that every believer is to stand upon. And so it, it's baffling to God. It's baffling to God when those who have a personal relationship with him live in fear and not in faith. Doesn't mean we're all subject occasionally to be afraid and we're not robots and we experience that, but what do we do with that? What do we do with that fear, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the future, the fear of what may happen? All of that is just, we replace it with faith. That's it. That's how we do it. We replace our fear with the conviction that God is in control and God is good. That frees us up from trying to control circumstances so that we will feel better about those circumstances. In fact, controlling is a way that we exercise our fear. Faith is just the opposite where we're surrendering and we're letting God be in control. So faith then requires this surrender to God to where, Lord, you're in control. And when we do that, it brings about this great peace that we don't have to be in charge of the world. And we don't have to fix the world. And if that's sort of our mindset, then God gives us permission to retire today. If we're thinking we're the CEO of the world, then it's time to retire and give God back that role. This parental faith, it's amazing because this parental faith then is seen in Moses' faith. In verse 24, it says, by faith, that, that's the theme here, right? By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So what happened was, Moses, when, when he got a, a little older, his parents realized he couldn't hide him anymore, so they put him in a basket in, in a river, in the river. And when he was in this basket in the river, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, his daughter found him. And his daughter, Pharaoh's daughter, took him as her son. But yet... She gave Moses back to Moses' mom to care for him when he was little. But then when he got older, she brought him into the palace. She brought him into the teaching of the Egyptians. The teaching and the sophistication and the money and the power and all that comes with being high up in a world power dynasty. As Moses is, is growing up in this environment, just being exposed to so many worldly things and enjoying things, opulent things, There, there came a time where it says where he came of age, so he's, he got old enough. You, you can see this as like an age of accountability where he started to discern and recognize, I'm living in this position, in this palace, and he could have possibly, because he was the only son of Pharaoh's daughter, most likely he could have been Taking, taking over the role of the Pharaoh when the Pharaoh died. We don't know that for sure, but he would at least have been one of the top two or three ranking people in the whole world. And when it says that he 
become, became of age, there came a point in his life where he had to discern or recognize things that were going on is he was in this power position in a place where he can have all that the world offered. But he, he would also see that when he was sitting in this palace and enjoying and being enlightened in the things of the world, he would see these other people. These other people who were slaves. These other people who were the labor for the kingdom. These other people who the Pharaoh was afraid of, so he would whip and beat them to get them to do what he wanted to do. And he'd see these people and he would look at where he was and look at where they were. And, and there's something in him that had a connection with the, the slaves. And no doubt being raised by his mother when he was younger, he would have a connection because he was one of them. So even though outwardly, positionally, he was in this Egyptian power position in his heart, he was connected to the people of suffering. And so you just think day in and day out, he would, he would be in contact with people, connect with people and feel more like the people that were being oppressed. And, and so then there came a time of decision. These times of decision in our life are huge. For him, he made an eternal choice. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What that means is, is he refused everything the world could have given him. Power, prestige, dignity, honor, possessions. The greatest things the world has to offer were in his hand. And he refused them. How can one do that? Because he had a different grid. He had a different operating system by which he saw life. And that grid was faith. So his faith was telling him something. Faith can be looked at as sort of a, a spiritual organ. So as we physically live in this world, we have our seven senses. And we have these bodies. This, our, our physical presence in this physical world is how we interact with the world. It's how we understand the world. But when one becomes a Christian, they then get a spiritual organ by which they perceive something even greater and something even more meaningful and something more powerful and that's the things of the spirit, the spiritual aspects of life, the unseen world. We can't physically see the unseen world, but faith is the organ by which we experience the unseen world. Now, when we think that the physical world is more real than the spiritual world, we are wrong. The spiritual world is more real, more, in, in, more eternal. It will endure forever. It's where we will spend our eternity. It is the place where things don't fade away. It is the place where we will fellowship and interact with God for eternity. And this is what Moses is able to do. He's able to look at what is going on. 
And he's able to sort of assess and evaluate and say, I don't want to have what is given to me. I'm I'm going to refuse that because my faith tells me something else. And so it's like he pushed it all away. Now, you just have to feel the gravity of of him doing that. And understand, as, as he's pushing everything away, so all his chips, he's pushing them all away and saying, I don't want all these chips. He's doing that because he's forced and put in a position where he had to choose between two things. So it wasn't like he's just saying, oh, I don't want to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was saying that because it was an either-or thing. So he, he, he was either the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which means he had to neglect who he was as a Jew, and he had to be part of the persecution of the Jews. So he's making a decision here, refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter because he's understanding and knowing there's something bigger, something higher. There's a higher thing going on than what he sees. And so the first point is understanding when we're living by faith, there are going to be many things we refuse. But understand this, the reason we refuse them is because they somehow will interfere with our relationship with God. So we're to live by faith and practically when we live by faith, we refuse everything that interferes with our relationship with God. That's where the refusal occurs. And because a believer has changed from being a natural person who lives by sight and for the things of the world, and when one becomes a believer, they change from that. They're transformed, and now they're given the Spirit, and they are now to live by faith because that old self has died. That old self of living for This world and the things of the world died, and now we live for the things of eternity. So we refuse. But our refusal is not all we do. Sometimes there's an idea where you become a Christian, you just you can't do anything. You just say no to everything. But that's not true. Every refusal, every no is a yes. On the other side, it's a two-sided coin. When we're saying no to sin, we're saying yes to God and the Holy Spirit. When we say no to the world, we're saying yes to the kingdom of God. And so it's not just this life of you can't do anything, but at the same, at, at the same time, it's a life of you can't do the things that are going to harm you and leave you bankrupt but you can do the things that bless you and bring about joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. So when we refuse the things of the world, we're refusing the harmful to embrace the blessings. So the second point we find in verse 25, it actually, faith also chooses things. So it says what he chose... Rather, so notice the comparison. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. So that's where his decision lied. This is where the choice came about, and this makes it even easier to understand why this would be such a hard choice. Because not only by, by refusing to be called a child of Pharaoh's daughter that he would be walking away from all this pleasure and worldly offerings 
at the same time, on the other side of that coin, was suffering. So he's refusing, but then he's choosing. Now, when we decide to follow Jesus, there is suffering involved. What Moses was doing was identifying himself with the people of God. We don't just sign up to suffer necessarily. When we become a Christian, we don't say, I want to be a Christian so I can suffer. Suffer just, suffering just happens to be part of it because now we're in the world, but we're not of the world. If you've been reading your one-year Bible this week, you would have seen what happens to the world. We know what happens to the world. The world is destroyed as we know it. The world system as we know it. The world economy, the, the world way of thinking, the desire for pleasure and living for pleasure, living for self. It's all destroyed. The book of Revelation tells us that. All destroyed. And the people who are living for that are crying and weeping and they're watching and they can't believe it. Because all of their hope was in the world. And when all of our hope is in the world, it will sink. It is temporary. So by choosing God's people, he didn't just choose suffering. He choose, God, chose to be associated with the people of God versus the people of the world. And because of that, there was suffering involved. The suffering here is uh, described as affliction. as opposed to a passing pleasure of sin. Isn't that an interesting way to describe sin? He does describe sin accurately as fun. Sin is fun. If we're honest, it's fun. But it has a very short shelf life. And the other side of the fun part of sin is captivity and bondage to Satan. That's not fun. So sin, it's allurement, or if you're a fisherman or woman, it, the bait of sin is it's fun. And how many people do destructive things because it's fun? It's so fun. But that fun then draws people in, holds people as captives, and then the fun passes. The pleasure passes. Here's a guarantee. The pleasure of sin will always pass. It will never last. And so Moses, as he's choosing to identify with the people of God and be part of the people of God. And while he's doing that, he's pushing and refusing a way to be part of the people of the world and the things that the world gives. What he's doing is he's living by faith, understanding that, that it's going to be temporary, the pleasure of sin. It's going to be very short. There's a passing pleasure of it, but then there's another side of it. And so he's thinking bigger, faith thinks bigger. Faith thinks eternally. Faith thinks heavenward. Faith thinks in a way where one is connected with the kingdom of God and eternity versus in a sinking, dying world. And so that's how faith is actually able to choose things because as it's refusing things, it's choosing the things of God, the eternal things. But look at verse 26. This is so insightful. In verse 26, it tells us how he was able to see things correctly. It says, 
esteeming, what does that mean? That, he, that means evaluating, accounting, judging. So these are the decisions we make. This, this is how we make decisions. When we make decisions by the grid of faith, we're making those decisions for God and eternal things. And so because he was able to do that, because he had faith and lived by faith, he was able to evaluate and judge the reproach of Christ as greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. You see that? See, he wasn't just someone who said, I just enjoy suffering. That sounds like someone who hates themselves, right? Like, I want to do harm to myself, so I'm going to be a Christian and just be harmed my whole life. But that, that's not the way faith looks at making choices. Faith is actually able to evaluate things correctly. Not by the seduction of evil that the enemy brings about. The book of Revelation tells us that the, the world run by Satan uses corruption. His goal is to corrupt us, meaning to take us away from how we were created to be in God. And he does it through fornication. What's fornication? He's speaking about um, lusting after things in place of God, other things. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to corrupt us. And, and so because Moses was operating on this grid of faith, he was able to evaluate, here's Egypt. By the way, Egypt is a picture of the world and sin. I, I could have all of this, but it won't satisfy. It'll come to an end. The wages of sin is death. I'll be separated from God. And, and he knew it's not worth it. That sin would pass by the pleasure so fast. It wouldn't be worth it. It'd be a, a life filled with regret. And he, because he had faith, he was able to have a, a different way of seeing things. And his faith allowed him to see the big picture, the eternal things. And because of that, he saw suffering, the reproach of Christ, which is interesting. The writer of the book of Hebrews was talking about Moses. And Christ coming into the world wasn't even on the radar at this point. But it, it somehow, by faith, Moses was able to understand what was going on and see that Suffering for Christ in this world has some sort of riches or treasure. Have you, ever, have you ever considered or thought about the fact that as we walk with the Lord by faith and experience the difficulties of walking by faith with the Lord, that our bank account in heaven is actually increasing? The Bible tells us to lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth. It tells us that where our treasure is, what we value, that's where our heart will be. And faith is able to do that. So practically, as we live our life in this world, we're able to see that our walk with God by faith is such where it sees eternal things. It sees the big picture and it understands that the world is not our home. So we don't live for the world and the things of the world. And as we embrace whatever challenges, persecutions and difficulties that we have, we, we can embrace it because we know that as we walk through this trial by faith, we will be laying up treasures in heaven. We are becoming rich in eternity. We are becoming rich in the things that really matter. 
So he, he saw himself, as, as he refused Egypt, he saw himself spiritually becoming richer, growing in the things of God. And then it says, look what it says now. He says, he looked for his reward. You know what that means? He understood that it was going to be a future thing. He understood his life in this world temporarily was not where he is going to experience the fullness of all that God had for him. But get this. It's where he would prepare his future where he would spend eternity and all that God had for him. So Moses was living by faith and able to understand that if he lived his life for God in this world now, it would affect his life eternally in heaven. And so when you put it in that perspective, you can see, okay, well, he, he saw things in a realistic way. And so he's able to say no to all this garbage that would be detrimental to me. And yes, to all these things that now Moses is enjoying and has been enjoying eternally for a long time. He was seeing things differently. He was seeing things more accurately. He was seeing things the way they really are. Satan wants to blind us from seeing and knowing and understanding there's more to this life than just living and dying. Satan wants us to think, get all you can here now because that's pretty much it. Satan wants us to think, live your best life now. And the Bible tells us that your best life is going to be then. So faith is how we see and understand the world and make decisions about the world and the things that are going on. Look at verse 27. So he tells us some things he actually did. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Again, he's not fearing. It says, for he endured, or he went through the time of waiting and difficulty how did he do that? This is so good. By seeing him who is invisible. How do we see him who is invisible? By faith. Faith are the eyes that allow us to see the invisible. And so differently than we're seeing each other and processing that information, then faith is then giving us an understanding of eternal things. And maybe you haven't even realized it, but there, there are times and there are things where, where you're making choices and you don't even know why or how it's working. And, and you're making choices of refusing and choosing. It's because you're seeing things differently. It's because you're understanding things differently. It's because you're operating differently. And you may not even realize, oh, wow, I am operating by faith. I'm doing things different than the way I used to do. I am living for a, a higher purpose. I'm approaching my life in this world in a whole different way. And the reason is because you're living by faith. You're living by the new grid that God has given you. And then the last thing Eventually, all this faith has to move from theory and mental understanding to where it actually act, uh, works itself out practically in our life. So that's what verse 28 and 29 do. So there's the phrase, by faith, and hopefully... That phrase will be just ringing through your mind today, tomorrow, and the whole rest of 2024 by faith. So by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. 
lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So what is that? So when the children of Israel were in Egypt as as slaves, the the final plague that came was this death angel that was going to fly over, pass over all the homes in Egypt. But only the homes that, that listened to God and actually did what God called them to do were the ones that survived. And they had to do something that might seem kind of weird or was unconventional or didn't make sense to them. Maybe they would get around to it or something, but this is very interesting because it tells us that there are just some very simple practical things that God says in his word for us to do. And we're just to do those things. So you may be sitting here and, and, and thinking, well, what is God calling me to do? And where can I walk by faith? And how can I walk by faith? But it really starts by just being obedient in the very simple things. And there are things in the Bible, just habits in the Bible where God doesn't say, well, you choose if you want to or not want to. But you are just called to do those things, just simple things like reading the word. Just reading the word, making that a regular part of your life. So that's living by faith when we read the word. But here's the thing. We actually grow in our faith by reading the word regularly. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you're not in the word of God regularly, you're probably not growing in your faith. You're probably freelancing your relationship with God. You're probably doing things more on how you feel and what you want to do based on or more than based on the word of God. But see, we can look at a a text like this and say, I want to do great things for God. But living by faith, sometimes the hardest part is living daily by faith over the long run. And you know how to be consistent in your faith is you just take the decision out of your hand. If there's something in God's word to say to do, you just do that. Reading his word gathering together as a body of Christ. This is something, it's so obvious, it's something we should be doing. We shouldn't be choosing if I want to go or not want to go, if I got something better going on or not better going on. We don't do that. It's by faith we go and we meet together. If we can't do those things, if we can't be in the word, if we can't Join the church family corporately, as as the book of Hebrews says. Let's not forsake the meeting of one another together. If we are not exercising our spiritual gifts and serving in the body of Christ, well, that's just a simple thing God's called us to do. That's not some big thing. Every believer has spiritual gifts, and they are called to use those spiritual gifts within the body of Christ in order to build up and edify the body of Christ. Living by faith just simply takes that decision out, the control that we have, and it says, well, that's what the Bible says, just do that. And that's how we start to walk in faith. It's as simple as that. We just see what the Word says, and we just start doing that. And as we start doing that, we start to... Uh, see things more and develop more and have a greater understanding of faith and a greater understanding that when we walk by faith, how blessed it is and how amazing it is. And and we just keep walking that step of faith. So the, the, the first thing is just to obey in the things that are very clear in the Bible. And we become stable. As I mentioned before, we become stable because When the choice is up to us, we're just going to do whatever we feel like it. That's one thing good about my job is I don't really have that choice as far as coming to church and serving. And there are times where I'm like, man, I'm not feeling it today. 
I'm not feeling it, so I don't know if I'm going to go. I'm going to watch online. I'm glad God's taken that decision out of my hands because I don't waste energy thinking if I'm going to do it or not. But see, he, he kept the Passover, and he, he could have been like, well, this is dumb, why are we doing this, what does it mean? But when we obey God, you notice, death came and didn't affect them. Why? Because he is obedient. But think about how many things in your life that may die spiritually because you're just not obedient. Some of the things I mentioned, but... Think about maybe your joy is being killed just because you're not being obedient. The death angel is wiping out your joy. Maybe your family's being destroyed. Maybe your marriage is being destroyed just because you're not being obedient. And it's in, in the obedience that brings the health and the energy and the vibrancy. It's in that obedience. But then in verse 29, it gives us one other example and it was the Red Sea and passing through the Red Sea. It says, and it distinguishes the difference between the children of God and, and the Egyptians. It says, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea on dry land. The Egyptians, however, they were drowned. Why were the Egyptians drowned and not the children of Israel? The Egyptians weren't living by faith. They were trying to kill the people of faith. They were trying to kill faith. They were threatened by faith. But faith always wins. Faith always survives. Faith can't be touched. Faith can't be harmed. That's why faith is so important. And that's why Satan wants to destroy your faith. Because faith is compared to the shield. When we drop our shield, we have nothing. Right? We're vulnerable for every sort of attack. And so we're just going to end with that idea and the understanding that in 2024, may it be a year that we live by faith. By faith, we understand that God is bigger than our plans. We understand that God has a plan. We understand that He is working it out, that He is good. And maybe as we end this year, you can actually take a step of faith and surrender to God and say, Lord, your will be done. And this year, Lord, I walk by faith. This year, Lord, I trust you. I relinquish control. Free me, may we pray. Free me from my desire to control every situation and circumstance of my life, but help me just walk in obedience to you by faith. And watch what happens. Watch what happens. Stop striving and pushing and pulling. Just be obedient to what you know. You can't be obedient to what you don't know, but you can be obedient to what you know. Be obedient to what you know. And begin to walk this walk of faith and let God's plan and his will take shape of your life. I, this is a guarantee from God, a promise. That 2024, no matter what happens in the world, will be a year of flourishing in the things of God for you if you walk by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together and we thank you for your most holy word, Lord, and I pray for anybody here that would be willing today to make that profession of faith. First and foremost, if anybody is here and has never truly received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that this is an act of faith. And this is nothing where we can point to our good works or something we've done or the way we were raised or our association with any type of church. But it is a decision 
that we make of our own will to give our life to you and surrender to you. And so if anybody is here or anybody is listening, this is an invitation, this is an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And that's also eternally, eternal separation from God. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That whoever would believe in him and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and rose from the dead, that they would be saved. And so if you are here this morning and you are not sure, you're not certain, you never had an actual moment where you of your own will and own volition said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, forgive me, come into my life. If you've never done that, do that now. This is your invitation. Otherwise, you're still in Egypt. You're still part of those who are against God and against Christ. And if you are a Christian... May you make a confession of where you are. That's where it all starts, confessing our true condition before God. Just confess if we've walked away from God, if we're living for the world, if we've left our first love, if we've become lukewarm, if we're just going through the motions, whatever it may be, whatever your condition is, just confess it to the Lord and repent of it and say, Lord, forgive me and now. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to walk with you with everything that I have. Help me to live for your glory and your pleasure. And so I encourage you to do that this morning if that's where you're at in the Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you. Thank you for this year. Thank you for blessing us and keeping us and watching over us and making your face shine upon us. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the stability that you've given us. We look forward to being with you face to face. But in the meantime, Lord, may it mean a life of fruitfulness and effectiveness for your kingdom while we're here. Let's all stand. We're going to worship the Lord one last time in song. If anybody would like prayer, we'll have our prayer team up front. Just feel free to come forward as we sing this last song. And our prayer team will be excited to pray with you guys. So God bless you. Happy New Year 2024. Bring it.